Good evening, everybody. It's uh, a very, very unsettling <laughs> way to begin uh, the drasha for Shabbos Hagodol in a in an unsettling time. Um, but uh, let's uh, let's pause for a moment, everyone, and uh, and take a deep breath, and uh, hmm. take a deep breath. And uh, let's let's move ourselves a little bit into the um, into the 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 mode and the mindset of uh, of the Seder Leil Pesach, of the Haggadah Pesach, of this year's Haggadah Pesach. And uh, what we're going to try to speak about tonight is uh, is the the concept. Of, so again, we want to embrace the we want to embrace the theme of the Agodah Shal Pesach, and this year focus on the idea of embracing both hope and reality. I want to acknowledge at the outset that uh, the Shabbos Agodah Drasha uh, has been dedicated by uh, Naftali and Barbara Chernitsky in memory of their dear dear father of Shmuel Chernitsky, who was so so dear to us. Uh, and uh, I also want to, uh, to dedicate especially uh, tonight's drasha to all those who will be spending uh, Pesach and the Pesach Seder alone, especially to those who, who, who regularly live alone within our community and beyond. Every Seder Leil Pesach, every time we celebrate the Seder, we not only express gratitude to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, gratitude to Hashem for the past, for the redemption of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, but we're also filled with expressions of hope, of hope for the future. From the very beginning of the Haggadah, when we say Halach Ma'anya, and we introduce the Matzah of the Haggadah, and we say Hashata Hocha, Lashana Babar the Yisrael, this year we're here, next year we hope to be in Eretz Yisrael, Hashata Avdei, Lashana Habobanei Chayrin, this year they are, we are slaves. Next year we hope to be free. There we say it. At the very end of the Magid, we make the bracha on the Haggadah, the bracha of Gal Yisrael. Blessed are you, Hashem, who redeemed the Jewish people. But we don't just speak about the past. We say, Blessed are you, Hashem, Aleikeinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Goalonu Vegoales Aviseinu Mimitzrayim. You, Hashem, you redeemed us, you redeemed our forefathers from Mitzrayim. And you brought us to this night to eat matzah umor. And so we say, we continue, we say, So to Hashem, your God, you should bring us, help us to arrive to other yomim taivim that are coming towards us with joy. Happy in the building of your city, rejoicing in your service. Baruch Hashem Gal Yisrael. So we don't just thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for the past. We don't just thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for having redeemed us. But we're also there hoping and anticipating for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to continue to redeem us, to continue to once again come back and redeem us again, uh, redeem us again in the future. That's the way the whole thing is structured. That's the, um, 
that's the the the, the um, that's the nature of the Seder Lel Pesach. It's about the past and it's about the future. It's about the gula that happened and it's about a gula that will happen. It's not just a night of celebrating the past, but it's a night where we embrace hope for the future. It's very important for us to, to warm up and to think in those terms today, tonight, as we prepare, as, we, as we're in our current situation. Our situation is nothing like anything that anybody on this call has experienced like anything in our time that we can recall. And our yearning for something different, our yearning for Geula, is not a challenge for us this particular year. You know, many years at the, at the night of the Seder, when we sit around the table together and we have a Seder, a Pesach, hopefully a Pesach of the kind that our dreams are made of, what we hoped for, what we planned for, whether it is around the tables of our own homes, whether it is uh, in some beautiful place where we went with family, or whether it's even not such a beautiful place, but where we had a chance to go to be together with the people who we thought, we planned, we chose to be together with for, uh, for Pesach. We... At the end of the Seder, we have a very full feeling, very often, a feeling of fullness because of uh, literal fullness, because of four varieties of kugel. We can have a feeling of fullness because we just had, hopefully, a beautiful celebration and a beautiful evening of Torah and of passing on the Masorah from generation to generation. And we end, we say again the hope Lashana Habab Yerushalayim, in the coming year in Yerushalayim. And uh, that hope, we know, is always something that we, and as members of the Golos, we sometimes have to struggle to summon hope for something better. Even in the Golos, even when we're here, to say Lashana Habab Yerushalayim, we can yearn for it, look forward to it quite a bit. But yearning for Geula in an absolute sense is sometimes a difficult thing for those of us who have been privileged in our time to be in a, in a more comfortable Golus. For those of us who, have, who, 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 who are Zoha to be in a more comfortable Golus. Even in Eretz Yisrael, of course, it's not enough for us to just say we're there, but we still, L'shana Babi Yerushalayim, Habenuya, Yerushalayim, which is rebuilt from side to side. And it's one of the great nisyanis, one of the great challenges of our time, has been to be able to hope, to not just be satisfied with our situation, but to hope for something more. That's not our nisyan this year. This year, it's not a challenge to hope for more, to hope for better. This year, we instead have the challenge of being able to embrace hope. Again, it's not our challenge, it's not our challenge to, uh, to feel like we need more, but it's our challenge to hope for more and to indeed have that hope and hold on to that hope and to recognize that Bezos Hashem, Bezos Hashem, it will come.
So tonight, I want to speak to you about the idea of embracing true and real hope. Not just that we want something more, but that we have real need, real hope, rather, for being able to have that something more. And number two, to speak about embracing reality. You know, there's a thought which I've shared with many of you, and many, many, many people say, have said this thought and shared this thought. There's a thought about Rabbi Akiva and his place in the Haggadah Shel Pesach. In the Haggadah Shel Pesach, we tell the story, the famous story about the sages who were seated together at the Pesach Seder in Bnei Brak. Rabbi Yezer, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Tarfon, they were Mesubim Bnei Brak. They were there reclining in Bnei Brak. And Bnei Brak was the town of Rabbi Akiva. And so it seems that they were all there visiting with Rabbi Akiva. And the question is asked that it would seem strange for them to do so because in fact Rabbi Akiva was a junior to many of the people who, were, who, who are mentioned here within, with, within this story. Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Kiva was the junior to many of the people who were mentioned here within the story. So, so the, the question we have to ask ourselves is, why would they have been going to the house of, of, uh, of Rabbi Akiva? Why would they be going to Rabbi Akiva for the Seder Lel Pesach? And the common answer, the common approach is, that the story took place during very difficult times for the Jewish people. This was the time of Rabbi Akiva. The time of Rabbi Akiva was post the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. In fact, it was during a time when the Jewish people were were again put down a second time. Rabbi Akiva lived during the Churban of Beitar, the quashing of the Bar Kokhba rebellion, when the Jewish people thought perhaps that they could rebuild themselves after the Churban, but now were brought down again. It was a very difficult time, almost a hopeless time. And so the sages Chazal described here decided they should go to Rabbi Akiva because Rabbi Akiva was the one who the Gemara tells us famously the stories about how Rabbi Akiva engaged with tzara, with difficulties. The Gemara tells us at the end of Makos in very famous passages that the sages and Rabbi Akiva were walking and they heard the sounds of the celebrations in the stadiums of Rome and everyone was crying. But Rabbi Akiva laughed and Rabbi Akiva said, look, if this is, everybody was crying for obvious reasons. Rome was triumphant, Rome was celebrating, while Yerushalayim was mourning. And they asked Rabbi Akiva why he laughed. And Rabbi Akiva said, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu of Hashem could give such glory to those who go against His will so fundamentally and completely, we can only imagine the glory that He has lying in wait for us. The next story the Gemara says is that they saw a wild animal, a fox, coming out from the Holy of Holies, from the Kodesh HaKadoshim, and they all cried to see the Beis HaMikdash violated in this way. And Rabbi Akiva laughed. And Rabbi Akiva explained that the reason why he laughed was because he said that, um, look, you know, if um, <clears throat> Rabbi Akiva laughed because he said, we, we, we have seen here the fulfillment of one prophecy. 
And that's the prophecy that Zion that Zion will be plowed up like a field. So if that prophecy was realized, then also the other great prophecies, the prophecy of Uriah, the old men and women will sit in the streets of Yerushalayim with children playing. The positive prophecies will also be fulfilled, not just the negative ones. So Rabbi Akiva was the person who in the greatest difficulty was able to laugh, was able to have hope, was able to see joy. And so that's why they went to Rabbi Akiva. That's why they went to Rabbi Akiva for the Seder. But the truth is that we should look a little bit deeper because Rabbi Akiva's laughter was not a laughter of escapism. Rabbi Akiva didn't laugh simply because he said, you know, I'm going to ignore today's difficulty, but instead, uh, just think about a rosy future. Think about something else. Rabbi Akiva did something far more profound than that. The Gemara says a different story about Rabbi Akiva, about pretty much the same sages. The Gemara is in Sanhedrin Kofalif. It says, when Rabbi Eliezer became ill, Nichnesu Arbo Zekenim Levakro. Four elders came in to visit him. Rabbi Tarfon, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Lozer ben Azariah, and Rabbi Akiva. Right? Same cast of personalities that we have in our story. And each one of them tried to speak to Rabbi Eliezer, who was there lying very, very sick. And each one had a different message. One of them said, you know, you're better for the Jewish people. You were better for the Jewish people than the rain. The other one said, you were better for the Jewish people than the sun. You were better for the Jewish people than a father and mother. All these nice things that they said to Rebbe Eliezer about the role that he had played for the Jewish people. And Rebbe Eliezer just laid there and listened. And as we've explained this Gemara before, when a person is lying there and people are telling him about all the good things that he had done once upon a time, making him feel good about the past, so he's sitting there and he's listening to his eulogy. And uh, the rule is that uh, in the midst of one's eulogy, so a very important rule, in the midst of one's eulogy, one is supposed to lie very, very still. Not to move. Call recording off. Not to move at all. Not to move at all. One is supposed to lie very, very still and not to move at all. And so Rabbi Yezer laid there and he sit, sat, and he listened as this one spoke about what he had meant to the Jewish people, what the other one had meant to the Jewish people. That was the way he lay there until Rabbi Akiva spoke up. And Rabbi Akiva didn't say anything about Rabbi Yezer, about his past, about what he had accomplished. But he said, Chavivin Yisurin, suffering is a precious thing. Omar Lohem, so Rabbi Yezer said to the people around him, Samchuni ve'eshma divri akive talmidi, she'amar chavivin yisurin. Could you please help me sit up in my bed so I can hear the words of Rabbi Akiva, my Talmud, who has said that yisurin, that suffering is a precious thing. And he sat up 
and he listened, and Rabbi Akiva explained to him what he meant by that. The explanation Rabbi Akiva gave was that from the Yisur and from the suffering that he was experiencing, something new could come, something new could grow. He gave him an example, example of, uh, of someone in the Tanakh who through Yisurin, through suffering, change happened which couldn't have happened and didn't happen otherwise. But the point is, of the story really fundamentally is that this is the same Rabbi Akiva where everybody else saw just the end and the sadness. And they stood at Rebbe Eliezer's bedside and they saw him and they said, you know, basically he's suffering like this, he's lying like this, his life is over, there's nothing going on. But he's still alive. So let's make him feel good about how life was, about the good old days. Rabbi Akiva did nothing to make him feel good about the good old days. Rabbi Akiva made him feel good about the present. Rabbi Akiva, in a certain sense, is laughing when everybody else is crying. Oh, in this story, he didn't laugh because Rabbi Eliezer was actually suffering, suffering something that Rabbi Akiva wasn't. When everybody else was with him, suffering the same churban, suffering the same triumph as the Romans, Rabbi Akiva turned his laughter from their cries. And there too, it wasn't that Rabbi Akiva was escaping into the future. Rabbi Akiva, as we see in this other story, was firmly there in the present. When he saw that this prophecy is being fulfilled, the next prophecy was being fulfilled, he understood that this was a step, a real step towards the future. One has to not only embrace a hope of the future, one has to embrace the reality of the present to realize that the challenges have their own preciousness. We never wish them on ourselves. And we wish that challenges shouldn't come to us. We ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu not to bring us to challenges. But as we're in a challenge, we can't spend our time thinking about the past, about what Pesach was like last year, and we can't simply focus on what Pesach will be like next year. Yes, we hope. Boy, do we hope. HaKadosh Baruch Hu should be able to bring us to festivals coming to us with peace, rejoicing in the building of Yerushalayim, rejoicing. Of course we hope for that but to experience what we're going through now and to use it for the opportunity which Hashem, with His hand extended over the world, is giving for us. It is a time for us to embrace the reality. Not only to embrace hope, but to embrace the reality. Many years ago, I had the privilege to share a thought at a at a gathering uh, that, that, uh, that was a, a zchus to attend, a high lifeline retreat for the families, for families with a child with critical illness. I shared a thought that I've had the privilege to have had repeated you know, dozens of times to thousands of people by uh, my dear friend and mentor, Dr. David Pelkowitz, who was there at the time. And it's an important thought. 
it's a thought about the Akedah and the Ram that we commemorate on Rosh Hashanah. After Yitzchak, after Hashem said to Avram that he didn't want him to offer Yitzchak, so Avram Avinu looked up and he saw an ayil, a ram that was there stuck in the thicket with his horns stuck in the thicket. And he went and he took that ayil, he took that ram and he offered it as a korban. We remember that ram forever through the shofar of Rosh Hashanah. And the thought about that is just quite simple. Chazal tell us, our sages tell us, that that ayil, that that ram, was created and designated for that purpose from the very beginning of time. But that ram was walking, it was walking there on Har HaMoriah. And it went and it bent down. It bent down somewhere looking, it saw maybe a bunch of berries in a bush. And it bent down to go and try to nibble on the berries. And it picked its head up. And when it picked its head up, its head was stuck. Its beautiful horns were stuck in the thicket. They were stuck in the bush. And so it started to pull and to tug. And the more it pulled and the more it tugged, the more it moved its head, the more it got stuck. The more it got stuck. And you could imagine that ram feeling so stuck. Nechaz basfach bekarnav. Just feeling stuck there. The truth of the matter is, that the ayel wasn't stuck. That ayel was created from the beginning of time to be there at this moment, to be at that place. And when Avram would take that ayel and offer it as a karbon, those horns that had it stuck there, those horns would be commemorated forever. That wasn't a place where the ayel was stuck. That was a place where the ayel was positioned, where it was placed where its entire creation, its entire existence was to be there at that moment and from that moment gain its eternity. Many times, we in our lives, when we face challenges, we feel stuck. We pull our head this way and that way to try to get out of it, to try to go to someplace else, to wish we were where we were before or to wish we could be somewhere where we'll be in the future. And we sometimes overlook the fact that we're not stuck. We're positioned. This is exactly where we need to be. We're not to think about the past. We're not to just muse about the future. Yes, we hope and we yearn and we know there will be a future. But we're here now. And we have to do as we have to think about now. About what we can do now to strengthen ourselves for the future. I want to just pause here for a moment to share with you a story, a little story, which, is, which may become, Bezos Hashem, a very, very big story. But it's a beautiful story that illustrates this, illustrates what we could be thinking about here, how we're being positioned to do something to gain strength that we could take forward. You know, in these days, as, uh, as many of you know, I'm uh, sort of like stuck between, uh, between uh, two sets of, uh, of responsibilities. Uh, Baruch Hashem, I uh, have the privilege to, to, to still be serving our shul, B'nai Jacob Shari Zion, and connecting every day, Baruch Hashem, with the shul and with the members of the shul. And at the same time, 
uh, also working in some on some level in uh, in anticipation of of uh, the role which which uh, which uh, I will be assuming at the Orthodox Union. So different things have have come my way in that capacity, and one of them was a call from a wonderful, wonderful person um, from New Rochelle who uh, got in touch with us a couple of days ago. Now, as you know, New Rochelle was uh, ground zero for, for a while for COVID in the, in, in, in the northeast of the United States. A member of the Young Israel of New Rochelle contracted the disease and it spread to, to many there were many, many, many people with COVID-19 in the New Rochelle community, in the Young Israel community of New Rochelle. It was the first shul which closed as a result of this, and its closure was actually mandated, mandated by the government. Today, Baruch Hashem, the community of New Rochelle has pretty much recovered. Many, many people had COVID, and Baruch Hashem, They've survived, and they're doing well. And this gentleman from New Rochelle called, called me and wanted to discuss something which they're doing and to see how we can spread this, how we can spread this effort. You see, the, um, the, the virus, like any virus, uh, is supposed to bring an antibody response in the human body that creates what we call immunity, that once the person has it, so then the body already built, built up the familiarity with it to be able to fight it, Bezos Hashem, in, in, the, in the future, to build up immunity to it. And there are, there's a long history of therapies that are used to treat a disease to take the the antibodies that one person who has had the disease and recovered from it has in their system and put it into somebody else, somebody who's struggling right now with the disease, with the condition. And there's research, there are trials being done, you know, as we speak, in order to try to do this with COVID. And the New Rochelle community, as a fantastic testing ground for this, has made themselves available, and you may have even seen articles in the press about it, so that they could be getting large amounts of samples of, pl of plasma, of platelets, to be able to do this study, to be able to give it to people who are struggling with the disease right now from what they have. I was so moved by this. First of all, in all of the doomsday news that we hear all over the place, it was a wonderful thing to hear about the community that had the first crazy spread of the disease. And they're talking as a community that Baruch Hashem, they've been there, they made it, and they're now on the other end. And Baruch Hashem, they're doing okay. And that's something which is a story of hope that should be advertised, that should be known and should be realized. Im Hashem, we will come out on the end of this and we will be okay. Bezos Hashem. But secondly, but secondly, look, what's, look, look what they have. They've come out from this experience, from this challenge, and they have something that can be used, a strength that can be used 
to be able to help other people in their battles. And maybe you'll say this is a little bit corny, but I don't think it is. I think it's a reality that we see that here you have just the way we all should view this situation. We're going through a difficult situation. It's building up in us strengths, <laughs> yeah, the literal antibodies against the disease that are cultivated there in Nourishel, but other strengths that we're getting from this. As we embrace this experience, we have to find those strengths that we're going to be able to use to be able to go forward. So we have to embrace the reality of the situation in order to be able to move forward and get past it. What, besides Bezos Hashem for just antibodies, what are we going to build from this experience? What will we recognize from all of this that will enable us to be able to go forward? So one thing, one thing that is very, very clear that each and every one of us is going to derive from this is a greater appreciation for the pain of isolation and for the gift, for the gift of togetherness. For the pain of isolation and for the gift of togetherness. You know, there's a famous and a beautiful Chazal. We read about it in Rashi two weeks ago, in Parshas Vayakil, in Parshas Vayakil Pekudeh. It speaks there about the kior, which was made from the Maros Hatsovos, from the, the mirrors of the Tsovos, of the hosts that assembled. Chazal tell us, Rashi quotes there, that those mirrors were the mirrors that the women had brought, had brought to donate to the Mishkan. And from that, the kior, the wash basin in the Mishkan was made. Moshe Rabbeinu, say Chazal, did not want to accept them as a gift. He said, what? I'm going to take mirrors, mirrors which are made for beautifying. They're a tool of the Yetzirah, they're a tool of the, of the evil inclination. And uh, Chazal say that Hashem's response was, no, 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 take them, accept them. They are, in fact, the most precious gift for me of them all. Most precious gift of them all. Why? Because it was through those mirrors that the Jewish women of the time ignited hope and strength and encouraged their, their husbands, that they should build a future for themselves, for their families. Chazal say that they would go out to the fields where their husbands worked, and they would bring the mirrors, they would bring them something, something to drink, something to eat, something to refresh themselves. And they would look together. They would look together in those mirrors. And the women would tease their husbands and say, so, you know, mirror, mirror, who's the fairest of them all? Right? Who's, 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 uh, who, who, who's nicer? Who's more beautiful, me or you? And with their playfulness, they would 
is restore some sense of happiness, some sense of joy, some sense of hope that allowed these families to build together for the future. The Mares Hatsoyves, these mirrors, were the mirrors of hope that were, that were used by the joyous, by the, by the women of the Jewish people. They were the mirrors of hope. And one of the aspects of that is that you understand that it was not a narcissistic mirror. It wasn't a mirror where somebody looked at themselves. It was a mirror in which two people looked together. It was a mirror where the company, the presence of somebody else, brought hope from one person to another. Community, family, friendship, it's an indispensable tool for hope. We've tried during this time, during this period of isolation, to do whatever we can, never do enough, never do enough, but do whatever we can to try to some degree to address the isolation which is necessarily felt by so many, whether by having these kinds of get-togethers, shiurim, uh, Zoom conferences, whatever it is, hopefully we'll get those to work properly again one day. The, 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 the uh, possibility of coming together, people reaching out to each other, calling each other to make sure that people are connected, that they aren't alone. It's invaluable. But you know, there are many, so uh, you know, some, pe- some of us could be sitting in a home with family and missing some more family. But many are sitting completely by themselves. And when they look in the mirror, they just see themselves. And they don't just see themselves because, heaven forbid, they're self-absorbed. Chas v'shalom. They would want nothing more in the world than to be able to look in a mirror and see two faces peering back at them to be able to have somebody else there together with them. You know that for many years there's been a discussion in Klal Yisrael, a discussion in the Jewish people about whether they want to call it the Shidduch crisis, whether the challenges of living life as a single in a family-oriented community And that's a challenge on many levels. It's a challenge for people who have never had the chance to be married and want to be married. It's a challenge for people who have been married, maybe married happily for many years and now find themselves alone because of uh, being widowed. It's a challenge, a tremendous challenge for the many who have experienced divorce or breakup and are living as singles or as single parents. Every one of these individuals, every one of these groups, has such tremendous strength. They're not uh, objects, so to speak, of, of, uh, of pity. Baruch Hashem, the, the contributions that the singles in our community make are huge. They're huge. And they have, their, they have created for themselves connections and relationships. But yes, there is something that they would want much, much more. There's something that they would want much, much more. 
And perhaps one of the things as we embrace the reality of our situation, of our relative isolation, is to really, really absorb and consider, consider in a deep and profound way how committed we will be, Bezos Hashem, when we get out of here, to do everything we can that every individual doesn't feel that isolation, that isolation in life, that they should be able to have connection, that everyone, that everyone should be able to have connection. I would suggest strongly that, number one, we use this time, Erev Shabbos, Matzei Shabbos, the days leading up to Pesach, Erev Pesach, to reach out, to reach out. We've asked people to do this before, during this crisis, and ask it again, to reach out, to connect, to connect to people who would benefit, who benefit from connection, benefit from connection with you, benefit from a little bit of outreach, benefit from maybe walking by on uh, one of those days of that very long three-day emptive that's to pass. Maybe call someone, a friend, an acquaintance, who's going to be by themselves for Yontiv, and say, you know, Bezos Hashem, I'm going to plan at three o'clock in the afternoon on Pesach to be walking past your apartment or to be walking past your house. Maybe come to the window and we'll schmooze, we'll talk for a few minutes. I think it's a very, very real and very, very practical idea, very real and practical suggestion that anyone and everyone should think about and should consider to learn something from the joy, the maros hatsovos, the hope that got the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim was when two people got together and they gave each other hope. When two people got together and they gave each other hope. another thought to connect to and to relate to. So as we've said, this year, we don't have a challenge of complacency. Other Pesachs, maybe, we could feel full, we could feel satisfied, and have to force ourselves to say, L'Shana Abba Yerushalayim. This year, it will be the easiest thing in the world for us to hope for something more. But the question is whether we will hope for enough. I've shared with many of you many a time an idea, a very important idea, which is taught by the Ramban in his introduction to the book of Shemos. The Ramban says that Sefer Shemos is called the Sefer Hagaula, the book of redemption, the book of Exodus. And he's troubled why the whole book of Shemos should be called the book of redemption. We can well understand how the first half of Sefer Shemos, which deals with the Golos, the exile, the slavery in Mitzrayim, and the Gula and the redemption from it, the end of the, of, of the work, Kriyas Yamsov, the splitting of the sea, maybe standing at Har Sinai, 
But the whole last part of the book is about building the Mishkan. And the Ramban famously says that the reason for that is because we have to understand that redemption isn't over when the Egyptians stop cracking their whip at the Jewish people. Redemption isn't complete when the tsaris stop, when the difficulties stop. Redemption is only complete when the Jewish people are restored to malas avaisam, to their perfect state, to the way things ought to be. And so to finish the book of redemption, we couldn't just be redeemed, we couldn't just cross over the Yamsuf. To finish the book of redemption, the Sefer HaGeula, we had to reach a place where we built a Mishkan and we had the presence of Hashem dwelling amongst us. And so, to some degree, perhaps we have to focus ourselves as well and ask ourselves, this Pesach, when we yearn and when we hope, what do we yearn and hope for? Oh, we know a lot of things that we're yearning and hoping for. To get back out of the confines of our own little Mitzrayim, of our, ho- our homes that has developed over these past few weeks. To be relieved of the fear of this virus, of this disease. To be relieved of the upheaval in the economy and the concerns that come uh, that, that have come to so many as a result of that. Those are a lot of things to hope for. But we need to hope for more. We need to hope for more than that. And I think the best way to bring it out is by quoting a passage in the Gemara that I think we can all, many of us, can relate to very, very strongly tonight and this Pesach. It's a Gemara in the beginning of Shas, Tav Gimel Omer Aleph in Maseches Brachas. And the Gemara says as follows. The Gemara tells a story about Rav Yaisi, who was once traveling along the way and he entered one of the ruins, the ruined buildings, the Churvais Yerushalayim to Davin. And uh, the Gemara tells that <clears throat> he heard there a heavenly voice, Elio Anavi encountered him. He encountered Elio Anavi there, and he heard about how Akodesh Baruch Hu cries. And the Gemara says, Shamati Baskel Shimanahemes Kayona. I heard a heavenly voice moaning like a dove, Vaimeras, and says, Oy Labonim, woe to the children. Woe to my children that as a result of their failings I had to destroy my house, burn my heichel, and send them into exile amongst the nations. And he said to me, right, so this is what Rav Yaisi was explaining that he heard. And Eliyahu Navi said to me, I tell you by your life, Hashem doesn't say this just now. Three times a day Hashem says this. When the Jewish people enter their shuls and bote medrash, and they say aloud, that Hashem's name should be blessed. Hashem nods his head. And he says, 
How fortunate is the king who is praised in his house in this way. Malo la'av shehiglo esbonav. Oh, woe to the father who had to send his children into exile. Vo'ilohem lebonim shegolu mi'al shulchan avien. And woe to the children who had to leave their father's table. HaKadosh Baruch Hu cries over the loss of the Jewish people like a father who doesn't have his children around his table, like a child who's not able to be at his father's table. That's the metaphor. My friends, that's a metaphor which is being played out in the dining rooms of all of Klal Yisrael this week. And the Seder Lel Pesach Hundreds of thousands of parents not being with their children. Hundreds of thousands, millions of children not being with their parents. And it hurts. It's difficult. It was hoped for and it was lost. And my friends, what this Gemara is telling us is Hashem has felt this way. For 2,000 years, we don't realize it, but Hashem has felt this way for 2,000 years with His children not around His table. So when we hope and yearn for a Pesach of the future, for a coming Yom Tev, Mayadim, coming for us in peace. Let's not just pray that our children will be around our tables, that we will be able to be around our parents' tables. But we have to hope all the way and realize that Geula will not be complete if we're just relieved of the immediate sar, of the immediate difficulty. But it will only be complete if the ultimate and full difficulty is revealed. If we're all able to be around HaKadosh Baruch Hu's table. If we're all able to be surrounding Hashem's table there in Yerushalayim. Let us use the moshal, the metaphor of the Gemara, as we sit around our tables. Keep this in our minds if it hurts us that we're separated from our family. And that's our experience this year. And we felt so good last year when we were with family, we were with loved ones. Let's remember that last year Hashem didn't feel so good either because we weren't around His table. These are pieces of the reality that we have to embrace, that we have to embrace, that we have to think about, that has to, to, towards which we have to dedicate our hopes. I want to read to you something. One of the most beautiful things that I ever received in my life. It's a WhatsApp message that I got almost three weeks ago, on Matzei Shabbos, the night before we, uh, we closed the shul. 
I got a note from a very, very special member of our Kehila who hasn't been able to be in shul for the while. For a while because of challenges of personal health. And I want to read to you what she wrote to me. This matter brings tears to my eyes and it's breaking my heart. I can't sleep. It's after 4 a.m., but I have to write. I believe and understand that it was very, very hard to decide to close the Beit HaKnesset. I'm sure I know that you are doing the best right decision. I want, please, to ask you something that maybe will sound very strange to you. Please try to understand me. But more than anything, please be mechel me for asking that from you. Please, if you can, tomorrow morning, Sunday, after the tefillah, after everyone will finish davening, if you can, please, be mechila, please stand next to the Oren HaKodesh and please ask all the Sifrei Torah Ask the Shekhinah, the presence of Hashem that's found there, in the name of all those who daven in the shul, all the members of the family, ask forgiveness from the Sifrei Torah that we're not able to read from in the upcoming time, and that we're unable to come and to daven together in the Beis HaKnesses. Our heart is broken from the pain. We know that we should daven even more now than ever in a shul with a minion, but we can't. We know that we need to learn more Torah in shul now, but we can't. So please, please, Hashem, make this machla disappear from all the world, that we'll be able to come back and daven to Hashem b'simcha and to read again from the Sifrei Torah. And thank you, and pray to you, Hashem, with Ava, with love. That's a person who felt, who helped, who articulated to me, and now I hope to us, how whatever feeling of bereavement which we feel for being alone. Imagine the Tsar of the Shekhinah for 2,000 years and for the past few weeks. We're missing people around our table. Our shuls are big empty houses. Big empty houses. The houses are big empty houses, all the yeshivas. Big empty houses. And yes, one of the opportunities we've, we've seized as we've embraced this reality, the current reality, is to bring Torah and tefillah into our homes. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. But let's think as well about that. As we hope for Gula. Let this painful experience perhaps make us more sensitive to the need for it. I want to share with you two final thoughts and a story. I'm not saying everything I wanted to say, 
Now I know that even when I give a drush over the phone, I don't have enough time. You certainly don't have enough time. Two final thoughts. One element of embracing reality. I shared this with a few people on the phone, I think during a Mincha Marav earlier in the week. Embracing reality is embracing the idea that the Seder that Emir Hashem we will have this year, whether it's a Seder that we will have as a smaller family, whether it's a Seder that we'll have as just two people or a Seder that we'll have just as one person, it's going to be a real Seder and it's going to be a real opportunity. And just because it isn't the Seder the way we envisioned it, the way we used to have it, it doesn't mean it's not exactly the right Seder. I shared with some of you an experience which I had a number of years ago. I had a very precious neighbor. His name was Rav Nachman Klein. Many of you knew him. Rav Nachman Klein was a, a great, great Talmud Chacham. And he also was an amazing collector of stories, of stories of great people. In the last uh, number of years of his life, he wasn't so well, he had a hard time walking. And we had, a th- we had a sort of an arrangement that many times on Shabbos or Yom Tov morning, he would come out of his house and push out his wheelchair, and he would sit in front of his house in his wheelchair. And I would come out when I would be going to shul before 8 o'clock, and I would give him a ride. He would go to Davin and Rabbi Taub's shul. I would give him a ride up the, up the, up the street. And we would talk. And one Pesach morning, after our family had finished a, you know, a, a marathon Seder, a beautiful, glorious Seder that ended who knows whenever it was, 3 o'clock in the morning, I, I grabbed a few hours of sleep and I came out all proud of our Seder. And Rabbi Klein was waiting on the corner and I was giving I gave him a ride up and he asked about the Seder, like when we finished. He said, and then he told me something. He says, You know, I heard a story from someone who spent time with Rav Chaim Oizer Grodzensky. Rav Chaim Oizer Grodzensky was Rosh Kobne Hagola, the Godel Hador of the Jewish people. Rav Chaim Ozer, at that time of the story, was an Alman. He was a widower. And Rav Chaim Ozer and his wife had had one child, a daughter, who passed away in her teenage years, I believe. So he was a widower, and he was childless. He was completely alone. Yes, there was a young man who was there to assist him a little bit. And he said, this is, was the way Rav Chaim Eiser had his Seder. Now note that Rav Chaim Eiser was a person that people lined up around the block to speak to. I can assure you he had no shortage of uh, people who would have wanted to host him at the head of the table for their Seder. Rav Chaim Eiser had the Seder alone. And the way he had the Seder was that he sat down, he made Kiddush, he opened the Haggadah, he read the Haggadah from the beginning to the end, he did the mitzvahs, he ate the matzah, the moror, he had something of a meal, he benched, and then he finished the Haggadah. And he opened the Gemara Psachim, and he studied the Gemara Psachim, and he opened the Talmud Yerushalmi Psachim, and he studied that. Rav Chaim Eiser was a guy, and he, he studied them from cover to cover before he went to sleep that night. But his Seder, his chosen Seder, was a Seder to sit alone and to learn and to read the Haggadah Shal Pesach. 
and then to continue to explore and to read and to learn. There isn't one way to have a Seder. I mentioned as well the other night to some of you that uh, my wife, Mindy, was speaking to Mrs. Leah Trank, who I, I told a, a lot of stories about her husband and about her on the Yomim Neiroim. And she was telling my wife that, you know, this is the first time she's going to be having a Seder by herself. Not only not having her husband, because now she's a widow, but not having any children. And she says, you know, it's going to be a completely different Seder. I have so many wonderful Haggadahs and books. I'm going to sit at the Seder and I'm going to read them. I'm going to learn them. Now she's certainly going to miss her children. She's certainly going to miss her husband. But instead of wishing to be someplace else, she's going to embrace the uniqueness of this particular Seder, of being able to do it the way we have been positioned to do it this, to do it this year. And I hope and pray that each of us will not view this as a lost Pesach, but rather as a different Pesach. So the points we've tried to share is that we embrace both reality and hope. We have everything to hope for. Klal Yisrael is always the ge'ulim. We're always the ones to hope for redemption. But we embrace the reality. We have to consider what this reality, this experience of this time, what antibodies it's providing us with, the ability to be able to understand and hope for and work for relieving isolation, the ability to understand, to really hope for Geula, to realize that our experience now is just living the metaphor for what HaKadosh Baruch Hu has lived all of these years, all of this time. And to embrace the reality and to understand that there isn't one way to have a Pesach Seder. So the final thought that I want to share with you, and to end it with a story, is that there was another element of the hope of the Jewish women that saved the Jewish people. And that was, and Chazal tell us, that you know, when Klal Yisrael sang at the Yamsuf, it says Miriam Hanaviah went out and she had a drum in her hand or a tambourine. And all the women followed after her with their drums, with their tambourines, and with dance. And Chazal say that the Jewish women knew that the Jewish people would be redeemed. And so they packed their musical instruments because they were busy thinking about how they would celebrate. The Jewish men didn't think this way. They packed. They had to go. The Jewish women thought, we have to think about how we're going to celebrate when this is finished. How we're going to celebrate this redemption. And so they packed the necessary instruments. And that's part of for ourselves embracing hope. I want to ask each of you to think about how we'll celebrate. And I'm not asking about what we're going to serve at the Kiddush when we get back to shul. What the special Shabbaton is going to look like. Asking how are we going to celebrate? How are we going to celebrate a new lease on life as individuals? How are we going to celebrate a new lease on life as a community? How are we going to celebrate all of these kochos, all of these strengths that we've gained and achieved during this time? 
How are we going to sing and dance? How's life going to be different? How's life going to be different for us, Bezos Hashem? How are we going to celebrate each other? Celebrate a Beis HaKnesses. Celebrate helping each other to get back on our feet, financially and otherwise. Think about it. Talk about it at your Seder table. So we have activities for Pesach afternoon. Whose house are you going to walk by to look in? Whose apartment are you going to walk by to say hello? And for Pesach night, to think, to pray, that nobody should ever be alone. To think about the Golos HaShechina. And to think about how we're going to celebrate Him here, Tzashem. Our reunion. I want to end with sharing just a story and asking you to join me in doing something. I heard many times from Rav Matisio Solomon, should be well, that uh, he would say a story of Kiddush Levana. That he met a Holocaust survivor who had been through everything. And he asked him how he survived. And he said he survived by Kiddush Levana. What does that mean? Because, you know, we bless the new moon every month. And the, the Jewish people bless the moon and we identify ourselves with the moon because the moon, the moon waxes and wanes. Every month it grows to full size and then it shrinks back down to virtually nothing visible and then it grows again. And that cycle of renewal is the story of the Jewish people. That's our story. My wife wonders why we sing it. We're singing that they want to destroy us in every generation. But we're singing that we've been through so many times where we've gone down, but every time we come back up again, and we come back up again, and we come back up again. And so he says, this man said that every month they would say Kiddush Levana. And he would read what it says in the Siddur of Kiddush Levana. Ateres Tiferes Lamuseboten. That we make the brach of Kiddush Levana and we speak about the Levana Amar Shetishadesh to the moon, HaKadosh Baruch, who said that it should renew and that it is a Ateres, again, Ateres Tiferes Lamuseboten, a glorious, glorious sign for those who have been carried. Shema Sidim Lishadesh Kemoisa that they will also renew, they will also be renewed like the moon, and to give glory to their, to their creator. To the moon it said, renew, a glorious, glorious crown to us, that we will also be renewed, and to give glory to their creator for the name of his glorious kingdom. Uh, it's time for us to do Kiddush Levana. I believe it's clear outside. Uh, we need to do it. Uh, we don't wait for Matzah Shabbos when it's this late, this past Matzah Shabbos, it was cloudy. So what I would like to suggest is that everyone who's up to it, you could probably even go outside in your pajamas because nobody's going to see you. But we should all go outside and, uh, and say Kiddush Levana. And say Kiddush Levana. And recognize Bezos Hashem, the hope of renewal. 
It's the beginning of all renewal. It's the beginning of all chidush, of all his chachos. And we, Emir Hashem, will also be renewed. We're going through a difficult, difficult challenge. But Bezos Hashem, we have everything, everything to hope for. We're going to build strength from this. And we're going to imagine, Emir Hashem, how we're going to celebrate in the future. But meanwhile, we're going to embrace the present. We're going to be there for each other. We'll have a meaningful, meaningful, different, but meaningful and hopeful Pesach from which we will emerge more sensitive people, more clear people, stronger people, and Be'ezus Hashem, healthy and well, to be able to be able together and to rejoice. I encourage you to say Kiddush Lovana. Have a good night. Have a good Shabbos. The shul will get together tomorrow afternoon for Mincha and uh, with special Nigunim of Shabbos. That's going to be the focus. That's going to be the focus uh, tomorrow, Bezos Hashem. Thank you for listening.